Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church Podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. This week, we are going to continue our sermon series looking at the first Christmas carols. That all throughout the the story of the first Christmas, we, we see these moments where people seemingly break out into song. You know, one of the, one of the criticisms that, that, you know, so many movies that come out for Christmas, they're musicals, and we watch them and we go, that's so unrealistic. People don't just break out into song like that. Well, when we read the Bible, it's actually kind of biblical. Apparently that, that you know, these musical moments in life, I know my life has not had very many musical moments. Where, where as I've gone through life, something's taken place and I've just broken out into song. Or, or the people around me have just broken out into song and dance and all of a sudden I'm in a West Side Story or something like that. But, but apparently, this, these were some things that happened throughout the Christmas story. That as we move through the, the opening chapters of Luke, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 again today if you want to turn there. And next week and on Christmas morning, surprise, surprise, we'll be in Luke chapter 2. Um, but we're going to be looking at, at some of these, these stories. And in the middle of these stories, there's these moments where people's hearts and lives just erupt into song. There's these moments where they just look at what's going on around and their hearts are just filled to overflowing. And then we have these songs recorded. And last week we, we looked at the song of Mary. And, and, during, and during the story, as we, as we set the context for the story of, of Mary's song, we were also touched on, on Mary's cousin, Elizabeth. And this week we're going to look at Mary's cousin's Elizabeth's husband, Zachariah, um, because sandwiched, the, the bread to Mary's song is the story of Elizabeth and Zachariah. That, that it hap- the first part happens before Mary's song, second part happens after. And we see, I guess, Mary's cousin, Zachariah, cousin-in-law, I don't know how that, I guess it's just cousin, I don't know, is there a thing that that's called. I, Mary's cousin, I suppose, Zachariah, is also someone who is overwhelmed by what God is doing in his life, and he breaks out into song. Last week, uh, we talked about how Mary was told that she was going to give birth to the Son of God, and that Son was going to be the Messiah. And, but we briefly touched on the fact that the angel who spoke to Mary said, oh, by the way, your cousin Elizabeth is also pregnant. And that's what we're going to look at today. So to understand Zechariah's song at the end of chapter of Luke chapter 1, we need to actually move to the beginning of Luke chapter 1 to fully unpack who, who Elizabeth and Zechariah were because it's important to the understanding of Zechariah's song. So we're introduced to this couple in Luke chapter 1 starting at verse 5 where it will say this, In the time of Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. 
but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. And so what we need to know to, 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 to start is that although we talked about Mary and Elizabeth being cousins, um, they were not close in age. Mary was young, but Elizabeth had a little bit more life experience. See, I can, I can be more tactful than Luke. He, he just said, they were very old. Well, they had more life experience. That, that's a nicer way to... They, they, had, they had seen more life than, than, Mary, than Mary had. But this, but because of this, both of their pregnancies would be unexpected and, and hard to believe. Mary's because, because she was young. She was an unwed woman. And Elizabeth's because she was not a young woman. That, that the time in life where, where she should be expecting to have, that was long past. And, and the story of her life was now she's going to be childless. That, that, that wasn't, an, no, well, are you, are, you, are you trying? No, we're well past the days of that. Now, what we also learn is that Zechariah was a priest. And so what that tells us is because of the role that Zechariah would have had as a priest, that that means that Elizabeth's barrenness, her inability to have children, would have been a very public thing. Because the people would know Zechariah the priest. And they would know that Zechariah the priest is an old man. And they would know that Zechariah the priest was an old man who didn't have any children. Which would matter because at this time and inside of the culture they lived in, not having children was actually seen as a curse from God. That if you didn't have children, you were cursed by God. See, see, there's some verses in the Bible that will, will tell us that, you know, that will say, like, children are a blessing from the Lord. And so the people at the time, they sort of said, well, if children are a blessing from the Lord, then the inverse of that must also be true. That then if you don't have children, you are cursed by God. That either you're blessed or you're cursed. And so to have children is to be blessed, so to not have children was to be cursed. And so for Zechariah and for Elizabeth, as they progressed through life, this would have become a more and more and more real part of their lives where, they, well, maybe next year, maybe next year, and, it would, and then all of a sudden, it, it's not next year anymore. And this is how people would have seen them. And, and we'll see in a bit just how much this weighed on Elizabeth. And so to be a priest who, who didn't have children would have probably been a very awkward spot for Zachariah to live inside. Because you're a priest who works in the temple every day, works for God, doing God's work. You're a priest who's cursed by God. That those, those two things don't really work together. To, to, to say, well, I, I'm a priest, or for me, I'm a pastor, and, and God's cursed me. When people would show up to the temple, they probably were hoping that Zachariah wasn't working that day. Because we don't want the priest who's cursed. We, we want a priest who's not cursed. You know, that seems like a pretty low, we just want a priest who's not cursed by God. 
But it's probably very hard for Elizabeth and Zachariah to reconcile these two things. You are a priest, but society tells you, people see you as, and you probably internalize and understand yourself to be cursed by God. And you don't know why. Luke makes a point and says that they were blameless. They followed God just the way you were supposed to. They were, he, Zechariah was a priest, and yet God has cursed us. So it's into this weird life of tension and struggle, that this weird place where they have to live outside of where, where two things seem to be true, but they don't work together. It's into this, this relationship that an angel appears to Zechariah while he was working. He, he, he was at work. He was going about his, his priestly duties when, when we read in verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and, and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Verse 14. He will be a joy and a delight to you. Zach, Zach quoted this for us today. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, he is never to take wine or fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on, or for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is ne oh, never to drink wine. Okay, we read that part. All right. He will bring many back to the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Now verse 7, so this is all remarkable stuff. But then in verse 17, the angel says something that for, for a Jewish person at this time, it would be an absolute showstopper. Where he says to him in verse 17, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to, to make a people prepared for the Lord. The angel appears to Zechariah, telling him ultimately what I would assume would be a long standing answer to prayer. That, that they would have been praying for years and years. God, send us a child. God, we want a child. God, would you open our womb? Would you allow us to have a child? And they would have been praying this for probably decades. And finally, an angel appears to Zechariah. And he begins to say, you're going to have a baby. And he begins to unpack who this child is going to be. You're not just going to have any baby. It's going to be a big deal. And then he tells them he's going to come in the power and spirit of Elijah. Now, if you know your Old Testament, that's a big deal. Elijah is a big deal in the Old Testament. He, he was a man who performed many of the largest miracles. He, he raised people from the dead. He called down fire from heaven. He was a big deal. And so to have somebody come and say, your, your son is going to come in the spirit of Elijah. Wow. 
But all of this and all the circumstances around it, they leave Zachariah's head spinning. Wait, what? I'm sure we've all had these moments in our lives where, where maybe your spouse or a friend or a child, they come and they tell you something and they're just talking a mile a minute. And, and they're telling you so much information at once that when they get to what they're finished saying, you're just kind of left with, I didn't catch any of that. Maybe it's when I do announcements earlier in the service and you're like, I didn't catch any of that. Um, sign up for the newsletter. Um, but... Um, but Zechariah, the angel comes and he just keeps building and building. We're going to answer your prayer. And the answer to your prayer is going to be amazing. And your son is going to be really special. And in fact, he's going to be so special, it's going to seem like he's coming in the spirit of one of the greatest Old Testament prophets, one of the heroes of our faith. And so in verse 18, Zechariah tries to catch up. And he says to the angel, how can this, or Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. See, Zechariah had tact too. I'm old, and my wife, she's just well along in years. Much nicer way. He didn't say we're old. I'm old. And she has some life experience as well. But how can this be? So, so much of that. What, huh? It doesn't make sense. And there seems to be, as best as we can tell, some, something in this statement that Elijah gives that, that really does communicate some more sense of, of doubt or unbelief because it's a very similar response that, that Mary gives. When the angel comes to Mary and says, you're, you're going to have a baby, and, and Mary will say, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. But Mary takes, or the, the angel takes the time to, to respond to Mary and to walk her through and say, this is how this is going to work for you. But when Zachariah says, how can this be, we're, we're old, that's not the response Zachariah gets. He gets a very different answer from the angel. Verse 19 will tell us, The angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day all this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So Zechariah, he, he says, wait, huh? H how is this possible? And the angel tells him, because you didn't believe, you're not going to be able to speak. And so from that moment on, he doesn't speak until we, we come to, to the song that he's going to sing. But what the angel said would happen, happens. And we read in verse 24, after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and five months she remained in seclusion. And she said, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and has taken away my disgrace from among the people. Now, I want to pause here for a moment because this isn't the point of our sermon this morning. But as I was preparing this sermon, I really felt that there, there's a word from the Lord for somebody around what, what Elizabeth just said. 
isn't it heartbreaking that Elizabeth saw her childlessness as a disgrace? Doesn't that just break your heart? See, we need to be so careful in our lives and in the lives of other people to presume that we know what's going on and why it's happening. It can be so tempting to look at somebody else's life story and pass judgment on them and on their lives because of what we see or don't see in their lives. Or perhaps even more tempting to do that to ourselves, to pass judgment on ourselves because of what we see or we don't see in our lives. That we look and, and we feel, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed, I am disgraced, I am cursed by God because of what I see in my life or because of what I don't see in my life. Or we may look at someone else and say, they have been cursed by God because of what they don't see in their lives or because of what they do, we do see in their lives. Elizabeth felt disgraced by the world around her because she didn't have a child. And yet, and this is why we have to be so careful with ourselves and with other people around us, is because what we see is that God had a profound plan for her life and her children or her perceived lack of children. And the truth can be the same for you and your life. That the thing that you see as a hurt, the thing that you see in your life as an unanswered prayer, the thing that maybe you look at your life and it's a source of shame, and it's been a source of shame for a long time, and it's been such a short source of shame that I don't even think God's going to do anything about it anymore because I've been living with it forever. If God was going to answer this prayer, he should have done it by now because now it's too late. God can use that very thing to shape the rest of your life. Don't assume that God is done just because it's not the way we thought it would go. See, out of Elizabeth's perceived disgrace, would come John the Baptist. Jesus' cousin who prepared the way for him. The man who baptizes Jesus. And so as you look at your life, and you may say, I've been cursed by God. I am cursed. I, I have been praying for forever for God to do this. I am embarrassed. I am shameful. Or perhaps you look at someone else and you go, I'm embarrassed for them. They have been cursed by God. If they, if they were doing things right, if they were being a proper child of God, that would have never happened in their life. But yet what we see here is that the disgrace that Elizabeth feels is God's plan. And instead of it being a disgrace, it is an incredible gift. And so friends, we just need to to be willing to trust God with other people and be willing to trust God with ourselves. And the encouragement that I want to give you today is that if that's you, continue to trust in the Lord. Don't let your heart 
be turned to bitterness and anger towards what you haven't seen. But trust in the Lord that he is good and that he will bring to conclusion the things in our lives. But eventually it comes time for Elizabeth to give birth. And in all of this time, Zechariah, he's not been able to speak a word because of what the angel said. And so we jump down to, to verse 57. So we, we, we leave here, then this is where we dive into the entire story of Mary and the angel and all of that. Then we come back to the story of Zechariah in verse 57, where it says, When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he's to be called John. But they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like the name of the baby to be. They invented some sort of primitive ASL where they're able to communicate and John's able to communicate without speaking. So they made signs and he asked, or then he asked for a writing tablet. To everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And then immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. Zechariah confirms the name of this miracle baby. He tells everyone his name is John and it's in that moment that his, he's able to finally speak again. And then we have Zechariah's first spoken words since he talked to the angel nine-ish months ago. And last week we, we talked about how, how there was a fancy name for Mary's song. And Zechariah's song also has a, has a fancy Latin name inside of, of church. That, that, you know, going back for, for centuries, we, we call this the Benedictus. That's, that's the fancy name for it. Benedictus means blessing in Latin. And so in verse 68, Zechariah is finally able to speak. And he begins to say this. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his prophets long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of God who hates us. To show mercy on our ancestors and remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness for or in holiness and righteousness before him all our days and you my child will be called a prophet of the most high for you, for you will go on before the lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the paths of peace. It's this amazing song. I don't know the melody and I can't sing it for you. But there's this moment where he's finally able to speak again. 
And when the words come pouring out of his mouth, what comes out? He doesn't say, Elizabeth, I've been meaning to tell you this for nine months. I don't like that new casserole. I I haven't been able to tell you, but now that I can finally speak, don't make that again. I don't like it. He doesn't come out and he's got a whole list. I got to tell you all the things I've been thinking. As he begins to be able to speak again, his heart just pours out praise for God. And so for our time today, I want, I want to close off the story of the song with, with a quick four things that we can see. And in this song, allow them, those, those these things to encourage us and challenge us this Christmas. Four things that we can take away from Zachariah's song of praise. First, Zachariah sings of God's salvation. This is actually the theme for the entire song of Zechariah. That if you read through, it's all about God's salvation. But it's really made clear in the first three or four verses. Zechariah sings about God coming near to redeem us. And, and this shows that it's, it, we can take a couple things away from that. First, it's that God drew near to us. That the salvation of God came from God coming to us. Not us coming to him. It's not us earning our way. It's not us finding our way. It's not somehow that we were able through a series of decisions and choices and actions to begin to move ourselves closer to God and God somehow just welcomed us in. But we see that God drew near to us. And so it was God's choice. It was God's action to draw near to us. And we see that in the coming of Jesus. That it wasn't somehow that, that we earned enough points for God to send the baby. But it was God's choice to send his son to redeem his people. And that's the second thing, is that he drew near to us to redeem us. Now, redeem can be a bit of a, a bible word. It can be some, a word that we certainly don't use in normal, everyday conversation. But what redeem really means is, is to rescue at a high price. It means to, to bring back something that was lost, to, to rescue it, but not just to, 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 to just get it, but to, to, you have to pay a high price in order to get it, bring it back, and restore it to what it was. So what we see is that, that God drew near to us to come and get us at a high cost to himself to rescue us, to rescue us, from sin. And this is what makes Christmas so important. And it's why on Christmas Eve, when we gather for our Christmas Eve services, we will be sharing communion together at the end of our Christmas Eve service. Because the miracle of Christmas is not that a baby was born. Um, The miracle of Christmas is not even that the Son of God was born. But the miracle of Christmas is that God's plan of salvation, God's plan to redeem his people, God's plan to bring us back into relationship with him began at Christmas. It's not just that a baby came, but it's why the baby came. That it's not just that the Son of God was born, it's why the Son of God was born. The Son of God was born to redeem us. And so we see this picture of God coming to us in order to bring us back to him. Second, we see that Zechariah sings of God's fulfillment. 
Zechariah sings about a God who keeps his promises. Everything he said he would do, he works to accomplish. And we, we see in Zechariah's life this incredible, palpable story of this, that it's not him just speaking a theological truth, but it's him sharing his testimony of this faithful God who, who kept his word even when his word seemed like it couldn't be kept anymore. Even when we see, obviously, you know, there was some, some kind of doubt or something in his heart to where, where even when the angel said, I'm gonna, we're gonna, God's going to do this for you, and Zachariah said, I don't get it, and, and he was made mute, that, that even his lack of belief didn't hinder God's keeping of his promises. And so as Zechariah talks about how God's going to keep his covenant, he's going to keep his promises, this is a man who has just lived through the most amazing promise kept he can imagine. Now, there's another baby that's going to be born real shortly that is an even bigger amazing promise kept. But Zechariah emphasizes that what God was doing fulfilled what he spoke by the mouths of the holy prophets in ancient times in verse 70. That God was remembering his holy covenant that he swore to our father Abraham in verse 72 and 73. See, Zechariah is telling us something about God that should fill us with hope and expectation in our lives. See, God shows his power and his control over time for us by making promises that the passing of time in no way dims. You count them up, there's, a, there's no less than at least 456 prearranged signs in the Old Testament to properly identify the Messiah. That there are these, these moments where, where we see someone in the Old Testament hundreds, if not thousands of years before Jesus was born, and they would say, this is what the coming of the Messiah will look like. He'll be born in Bethlehem. He'll be born to a virgin. All of these things about his birth and his life and his death and his resurrection, all of these things, and all of them, were fulfilled in the person of Jesus. God does what he says in his time and in his way for his glory and for our good. Third, Zechariah sings of God's transformation. Zechariah, he, he begins to unpack what, what God's going to do for those who trust and follow him. He, he says that God will bring about spiritual transformation. And in verse 74, he, he talks about how we will serve him. That, that our spirits will be transformed instead of following the world, instead of following our own desires, that, that our spirit will be transformed to want to serve him. And he says that there will be emotional transformation, that we won't just serve him, but in verse 74 it says that we will serve him without fear. And there will be behavioral transformation. In verse 75 it says that we will serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness. In his presence all our days. He talks about how, how life will change. Our lives will be transformed. See, so many people back then, and 2,000 years later, it hasn't changed. 
So many people can live their lives out of a quiet desperation. So many people can, can live their lives on the treadmill of life, just trying to get somewhere, doing everything to get somewhere, seeming like you're going somewhere, but half an hour later when you step off the treadmill, you're still in the exact same place. And for so many of us, that's what life can feel like. We spend all day, every day doing things only to stop and look and go, I don't think I've gone anywhere. I, I, don't, I don't think I've done anything. I did a whole bunch, but what have I done? We can battle the feelings of futility. Looking at our lives and wondering, what is the difference that any of this makes? I, I do all of this. Does it matter to anyone anywhere of what I've done? But as Zachariah his heart is poured out before God and he just begins to, to speak God and, and prophesy. He tells us that Jesus came so that we who were lost in sin might be lifted up to the grace of God. He came so that we who had allowed our lives to follow the world might serve God our creator. He, he came so that we who lived a life apart from God might be reconciled to him. He came so that we who felt the disconnection of our lives from and kind of the disconnection of our lives from a kind of purpose might have life more abundantly. He came so that we who are unholy might have our lives aligned to him and his ways. See, this is the transformation that, is, that we're able to see in our lives because of the coming of Christ. That we are able to, to have how we live and what it looks like for us to live completely transformed. And fourth, Zechariah sings of God's coming. Zechariah's song closes with one final burst of praise about the light of God and... and that is, that is being focused on this world. And he uses three picturesque words or phrases to help describe the impact of God's coming of this light. First, he calls this light the dawning of heavenly sunlight. In verse 78, he says, the dawn from on high will visit us. This, this tells us that the light of God has come over the horizon on this dark world. The darkness was ending, that in the coming of Jesus, in, in the coming of this light, the darkness was ending. The light was coming. And with the light coming, the darkness has to flee. That, that scripture will talk about how darkness cannot overcome light, but light overcomes darkness. And he uses this picture of the dawning of the light over the horizon, that there was a new season and a new time and a new future that was being dawned with the coming of Jesus. Second, he, he, refer, he talks about how this light will be the end to hopeless living. Verse, also verse 79, it says, to shine on those who live in darkness in the shadow of death. The picture is, is, of the, is something like this. Someone on, on death row, hopeless, pining away, beyond all of human rescue. There's no way out, there's no future, 
There's no hope. Death is coming. And then suddenly a light shines. And there's light and there's freedom that instead of only death, there's this light that shines and suddenly there's hope and there's a future. And third, it shows us into a new way. The close of verse 79 says, to guide our feet into the way of peace. That there's a new way to live. That there's the dawning of this light. And this light is coming and it's going to remove the darkness of this world. And it's going to bring us hope. It's going to bring us an opportunity to see a new future. And then this light is going to show us the path. Scripture will say that his word is a light unto our path. And we see that in the coming of Jesus, the coming of this light, that it's, it's, he's going to give us a, a chance to walk a new path, the path of peace, and the light of Jesus is going to shine our way forward. This is the song of an old man who held a miracle child in his arms and contemplated the incredible seismic shift that was taking place in his lifetime. Nothing like this had ever happened. And Zechariah had to sing. And prophetically, he sings of the difference that Jesus Christ makes. When he comes into your life, the shadows flee. When he comes into your life, you're released from the prison of sin forever. And when he comes into our lives, our feet are set on a new path. The path of peace with God. This is what the coming of Jesus means for us. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that as we come together to reflect on Christmas, to reflect on the stories that that some of us have heard for, for decades upon decades. God, I thank you that as we come together to, to reflect on what it means that you sent your son. Father, I thank you that they're not just tales. They're, they're not just stories with, with morals. They're not just good things to tell each other. But God, I thank you that as we reflect on the coming of your son that we get to remember how you came in power, how you came to make a difference, that it wasn't just a baby was born, and it's not just that your son was born, but it's that your son was born with a purpose to set us free. And God, I thank you that as we reflect on Christmas, we reflect on the idea that for God so loved the world, he sent his son so that whosoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. God, I thank you that you sent your son with that purpose. And so God, I pray for all of those gathered here today, all of those who need transformation in their life. God, would you transform their lives and their stories. God, would you do what seems like the impossible that maybe they've decided is the impossible, just like Zachariah and Elizabeth. God, would you do the impossible in people's lives today? 
Would you transform them? Would you change them? Would you give them the, 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 the prayers that they've been answering for? God, for those who have felt shame and disgrace because of the things going on in their lives, God, would you set them free from that today? Would you replace the shame and the disgrace, God, with a trust for you? God, that they would no longer feel, why has God abandoned me? But they would be able to trust and know that you have a plan for them. And God, I pray for, for those of you, or for those of us, God, who need the light of Jesus to shine into our lives. That need the light of hope to shine into our lives. The, the light that will remove the darkness. God, the, the light that will, will set us free from the patterns of our lives that are destructive and the patterns of our lives that bring division and anger. The patterns of our lives that have kept us in prison. God, thank you that as your life, your light shines into our lives. God, we can be set free from that. And God, I pray for those who need the light of Jesus to shine in their life to show them a new way forward to show them a new way in peace, a new way in hope, a new way with a future. God, would, you, would your light shine in our lives today? God, I thank you that the coming of your son made a difference 2,000 years ago. And God, I thank, that the, thank you that the coming of your son makes a difference in our lives now, today. God, would you, would you make a difference in our lives this Christmas? In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Behold, the King has come. Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family, and that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca. Or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on Contact Us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on Our Pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go.
begin.